Really good to see you this morning. We're really glad that you're here, each one of you. Had some who have been out and about uh, traveling and being with family over a holiday. You've returned. We're thankful for that. Others of you have not been feeling well and you're back this morning. Thank you for... Uh, I'm glad that you're feeling better and glad you can be back with us. I want you to think this morning with me for a few minutes about perspective. This is uh, the first weekend of December. Welcome to December. I can't believe it's December either. I can't believe that we're already looking at the end of another year. And here we are in December. So I was thinking about the difference between my 14-year-old self and my 41-year-old self. I remember when I was 14 how I looked at December. I remember when I was 14, I couldn't wait for December. December was one of my very favorite months of the year. And I suppose there are some young people who perhaps feel the same. I knew that December meant cooler weather and the possibility of snow. I love snow, and I love the possibility of snow. I thought, this is a month where school is coming to an end, and I've got a break coming up. And so I couldn't wait for December, and I couldn't wait for a break from school. Oh yeah, December meant presents. I was thinking about gifts and receiving gifts. I was thinking about putting together a Christmas list, and I was thinking what I would hand my parents and make sure that they understood this is what I want for Christmas. I was thinking about food, right? I was thinking about all the wonderful food and and all of these these things. I know if I go back in time, that's my 14-year-old self and his perspective. Some of that hasn't changed a whole lot. Some of that is still going to be true food, right? I'm still thinking uh, possibility of good food uh, by the end of the month, and, and yet there's so much that has changed. There's so much that is different from this perspective. There's so much that is not the same. Now my 41-year-old self is thinking about year-end taxes, <laughs> year-end expenses, and putting together all of that as if we're coming to the end of a year. I guarantee I wasn't thinking about that at 14. I'm not thinking so much about gifts that I want, but thinking about gifts that others want. Now we have teenagers in our home, and now they're giving us the list. And we're going through their list, and we're thinking about what they want. And your perspective has changed, right? You have a different perspective. Now I'm not waking up in my parents' home, but now, this week, my parents are waking up in my home. That's weird, right? That's different. That's a completely different perspective. It's fun. I love it. But things change. Perspective changes. And uh, I want us this morning to think about maybe something a different way, from a different perspective. I could ask the question this way. Are you preparing to die? I don't know. You say, well, of course I'm really preparing to die. If you stop and think about it, I'm just springing that on you. And I'm asking you to think about it from that perspective for a moment. Are you preparing to die? Well, of course I'm preparing to die, Adam. I know that death is coming. Death is a part of life. I know Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says that it's appointed for all men to die once, and after this the judgment. I am preparing to die. I know that I'm going to die. I don't think about it all the time, but I know that my day is coming. I know that there's a possibility that even today is that day. Yes, there's a real sense in which I'm preparing to die. But let me ask you from a different perspective to consider it this way. Are you preparing 
to live forever. Are you preparing to die? Yes. But from a different perspective, we could ask the same question a different way. Are you preparing to live forever? I think that's really a point that Paul is driving home in the book of Colossians. This morning, if you don't have your Bibles open there yet, I would ask you this. I want you to think about it from the perspective that Paul is giving. Now, if you think about the book of Colossians overall, and Ryder, I'm, I'm got nothing, I'm sorry. Can you advance? Here's the book of Colossians overall, right? Just an overview of the book of Colossians. What's it all about? It's all about the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. And you go to Colossians chapter 1, and you'll find this theme running all the way through the book of Colossians. Paul is really driving home the point. I want you to see the preeminence, the supremacy of Christ. Look at chapter 1 and see it driven home. Drop down to verse number 18. Verse 17, you've got that Jesus is before all things. In Him all things consist. Verse 18, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. In all things, the Bible says, He may have first place, supremacy. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. The preeminence of Christ. Paul says, I want you to know that from this perspective that Jesus has supremacy. First place in how many things? All of them. In all things. Verse number 18 says, You look at chapter 2 and verse number 9. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Don't miss the point. Paul says Jesus is preeminent. He is the head. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in all things He has first place. He is the head over all principality and power. And Paul says, I'm writing to a group of people and you need to understand that you are complete in Him. Now, this is what you have in Him. You back up to chapter 1 and you look at places like verse number 3. Paul says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. You have faith in Christ, love for the brethren, you have hope reserved, laid up for you in heaven, because you love the truth. You're found in the truth of God. I'm just reminding you this morning that this is the audience of this letter. That Paul is writing to those who have faith in Christ. He is writing to those who love the people of God. He is writing to those who have hope of heaven. And he's asking them to keep proper perspective. Are you preparing to live forever? So the question is, how do I know? How do I know if I am preparing to live forever? My friend, let me just tell you, you are going to live forever. You know that you know this, but I'm telling you very plainly, you will live forever. We need to be prepared to live forever. 
So let's think about it. Let me give you five ways that, I, that Paul gives us, really, in chapter 3. Just looking there at the first four verses. Five ways that we can know that we are preparing to live forever. Number one, I am prepared to live forever if I have been raised with Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1, read for us a moment ago. If then you were raised with Christ... Since, other translations start that verse, since you have been raised with Christ. My friend, baptism is a requirement for salvation. That's what Paul is addressing here in verse number 1 of chapter 3. This being raised with Christ is talking about baptism. How do I know that? Go back to chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2. Go ahead, writer. In chapter 2, I want you to see what, what he's talking about. Go forward the other way, if you don't mind. There you go. Baptism is a requirement of salvation. In chapter 2, if you back up to verse number 11, the Bible says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. There's a repeated phrase. You see it in chapter 2 and verse 12. You see it again in chapter 3 and verse 1. Raised with Christ. What is it connected to in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12? It's connected to baptism. Here's the perspective that I want to remember. If I am prepared to live forever, then I must be raised with Christ. I must be raised with Christ. I am prepared to live forever if I have been raised to live with Christ. It's very interesting to me what he says here. And I know that this is connected to baptism because that's the connection that he makes. But he says, there's a point in which I need to bury this man of sin. There's a point that I must put that man of sin to death. More on that in just a moment. But I know that he's telling me, according to what he says, this happens in baptism. In baptism, it is where that old man of sin is cut off, circumcised as it were. He says it's not the circumcision of the flesh. He said we're not talking about physical circumcision, things which the Jews would have been very familiar with. He says this is the circumcision made without hands. It is where God cuts off that man of sin. I put him to death. I bury him so that I can be raised to live with God. I must do this. It is a requirement. Paul was told in Acts 22 and verse number 16, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. I'm prepared to live forever if I have been raised with Christ. I'm telling you, my friend, this is a requirement of God. This is not something that Adam is telling you to do. This is something that God says must be done. You must have that old man circumcised, cut off, in order to be raised with Christ. Number two. Paul, tell me, how am I preparing to live forever? Well, number two, I'm preparing to live forever if I am seeking the things which are above. 
Listen, I'm just going to go right through these four verses, and I'm just going to tell you exactly what they say. I'm not making this up. I'm not telling you how you can prepare to live forever. I'm letting God tell you how you can be prepared to live forever with Him. You must be raised with Christ. And you must, you must, my friends, seek those things which are above. Jesus came to prepare us to live forever. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Question. Is Jesus alive or is Jesus dead? The answer? He was dead, but now is alive. Where is he? That's why Paul, I think, really brings this out and makes the point. I want you to seek those things which are above. That's where Jesus is. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus isn't in a tomb. Jesus is alive. Where is He? He's in heaven. Set your mind there. Don't set your mind here. Go there. Prepare to live forever there. That's the perspective. That's what He's saying. Seek those things which are above. That's where Christ is. Do not fall in love with this world. What's the real temptation? What's the real temptation, December the 4th? The real temptation can be to really fall in love with things of this world. The month of December is filled with temptation, isn't it? To fall in love with things of this world. We go to our kids and we say, what do you want? What do you want? What are we asking? What do you want physically? What can I do to bring you more joy? What can I do to bring you more happiness? What can I bring you that you can get attached to in this life? Listen, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying it was wrong when my parents did it for me. And I'm not saying it's wrong for me to do it to my parents but if, or to my children. But if we're not careful, we'll fall in love with those things. And those things will keep us from getting to where Christ is. We need to be careful about that. As we give these gifts, which are great and wonderful, and they're, they're fine, let us not teach our kids to become more attached to those in this world than to Jesus, the one to whom we long to be with. It's very important that we continue to keep this proper perspective, even at the close of a year, as we think about entering into another. Seek those things which are above, Paul and John both understood this perspective. It's tempting to fall in love with the things of this life. And that's why John so clearly says those verses that you know so well in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15. Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Very important. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're not of the Father, but of the world. But the one who does the will of God is going to abide forever. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. I am preparing to live forever if I'm setting my mind on things above. Go over to 2 Peter chapter 3 and just be reminded again of these words. 
John understood this temptation. Paul understood this temptation. Peter also understood this temptation to fall in love with things here, to set our mind on things of the world, the things of the earth. And they're all telling us, no, you've got to look up. Better perspective. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You go on to verse number 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. It's all about perspective. These verses are all about perspective. Listen, don't set your mind on the things of this world. Don't set your mind on the things of this earth. It's all going to be dissolved. It's all going to burn up. It's all going to go away. Look forward to the day of the coming of God. Think about that perspective. Preparing to live forever. No wonder Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and moths, uh, moths destroy, where rust destroy. Don't, don't set your mind here. Don't set your treasure here. Set up your treasures in heaven, where it cannot be destroyed. It's all about perspective, you see. I'm not preparing to live, to die. I'm preparing to live forever. That's the example that we're looking to. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Here's number 3. How how do I know if I'm preparing to really live forever? Paul goes on to say in verse number 3, For you died. How do I know that I'm preparing to live forever? Number 3, if I am dead. (laughs) I love the humor. I think at times, again, it's serious. It's the most serious thing there is. But, but you see God and the way that He puts things, the Holy Spirit, the way that He inspires these men, the way that He wants us to think, the perspective that He wants us to have. Was Paul writing to dead people? Of course he wasn't. These are people with real eyes and real ears, and they're listening and they're reading and they see and they're living and they're breathing. And yet he says, you need to die. You, actually, who have been raised with Christ, you are dead. You died. You are alive, but you died. And you know what he's talking about. You know exactly what he's saying. As Christians, you died. I'm prepared to live forever if I'm willing to die first. Not physically, but spiritually. Paul says you need to separate yourself from your old life. You need to be willing to die. You need to be willing to separate yourself from your old life. Now, before one becomes a Christian, for some, this isn't as difficult as it can be for others. 
right? And you know that you've got someone maybe who's been raised in a Christian home and you understand that they're trying to do good and they know really what the Bible teaches and they have an understanding of kind of what God wants and what His desire is. And you have others who have been raised in a very worldly home perhaps or they've given themselves over to very worldly things and they've got big things in their life, we would say, that they need to give up didn't know. I didn't know that it was wrong for me to be in that marriage. I didn't know that it was wrong for me to be in that relationship. I've given myself over to this habit that's going to be incredibly difficult for me to give up. And yet, for either one, you're lost without the benefits of the cross. We're lost without the benefits of the cross. And if we choose not to make Jesus our Lord, if we choose not to let Him have supremacy in our lives, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You're going to be lost. Because it's really not about how good you are or how bad you are. It's really about their perspective that says, no matter what, I need Jesus to rule. I need His blood. I need to be forgiven. I need Him. I need to die to me. I need to die. Here's your perspective. You have the perspective of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32, which at the end of that verse, Paul says, there's this perspective that some will have, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And there are times in our lives where we think, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing. I'll just eat and drink, and and tomorrow I die. But what is that perspective? Who is that perspective focused on? What is that perspective all about? It's all about me and physical life. It's all about me. Eat and drink, for tomorrow I die. I will just live for physical well-being. I will live and sustain myself. I will live and do what I want to do. And then I'll, I'll die. But I don't want to be about me. I want to be about Him. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul, again, writes a letter to people who are very much alive physically. And yet he reminds them what they had to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse number 1, Paul says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." Paul is writing to people who are very much alive. And he says to them in verse number 1, that you were very much alive, and yet while you were alive, you were dead. Dead where? In your trespasses and sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then the Bible says, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3, that you were dead, you had to die, you actually were dead in your trespasses. Follow me on this, all right? I don't want to confuse you, but listen. 
you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then you had to put that man who was dead to death. You actually were dead in your trespasses and sin. And in baptism, you had that man cut off. You put that man to death. He was already dead. And then you really put him to death in baptism. That's where you cut off your sin. So that you can be made alive. This, my friend, is what I want to say on this point. If I'm prepared to live forever, I have to put that man of sin to death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I have to separate myself from my old life. I need to keep this proper perspective. I need to know that I have to die. Now, here's number four, because he really follows up with this exact point. Going back to Colossians chapter 3, you understand, you died, and now where is your life? Now your life is hidden with Christ. I am prepared to live forever if I have been raised with Christ, if I have set my mind on things above, if I have died, and now if my life is hidden with Christ. What a perspective for me to think about. If my life is hidden with Christ, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I don't understand the fascination with zombies. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't understand it. A lot of young people watching zombie shows and and, uh, I guess my boys are not a lot different. I mean, some of those things they enjoy and some of them, I mean, I just don't get it. I I don't understand... Uh, the infatuation with it, dead people up here walking around. I don't understand the fascination. There's not truth to it. Physically dead people are, are not going to rise and begin to walk again. But Paul admits here that, that there is one who is dead, but now is alive. But spiritually speaking, he says, that's me actually. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified. Really? Yes. I died. I have been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I'm now living, the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I am prepared to live forever if my life is really hidden with Christ in God. This really is what he was all about, and this is what I need to be about as well. Back in Philippians chapter 1, I appreciated Will and the great thoughts around the Lord's table this morning. Looking at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, having this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, talking about the humility of Jesus and His willingness to come and to die on the cross for our sins. Backing up to chapter 1 and verse number 21, Paul says, For me... To live is Christ. My life is hidden with Christ. When you see me, you're not seeing me. You're seeing Jesus. That's me. That's what Paul says. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For me to live is Christ. But I know that to die is gain. You see, that's a man who's preparing to live forever. I know that right now I'm living for Christ, but for me to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, 
This will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. That's a man who's preparing to live forever. I'm telling you, that's the perspective that I really want to have in my life. I have no idea how much longer I'll live. I have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what lies ahead. And newsflash, neither do you for yourself. But this is the perspective that is healthy and right for a Christian. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to prepare to live forever. I want Christ to be my life. That's Colossians 3 and verse number 4. Going into verse number 4. I want Christ to be my life. I want my life to be so hidden in Jesus that again, when people see me and the things that I do and the way that I conduct myself, the words that I choose to use, it's not about me, it's just about Him. What a perspective. What a challenge. Number five, here's the final point. How do I know if I'm prepared to live forever? If I'm really living for His appearing. How do I know if I am prepared to live forever? If I am really living for His appearing. That's Colossians number 3 and verse number 4. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What is the first word that you find in verse number 4? Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 4. The first word that you'll find is the word when. It's not if. It's when. It's not a possibility that Jesus is going to return. It is a fact that Jesus is going to return. When Christ returns. Paul said it with extreme confidence, and I can repeat it with extreme confidence. When Christ appears. I have read somewhere that one out of every four verses in the New Testament has something to do with the return of Jesus. I haven't been able to verify that for myself, but think about that for a moment. If that's true, 25% of every New Testament verse has something to do with the return of Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus going to come back? Shake your head like this. He's absolutely coming back. He is coming back. Now here's the temptation of December the 4th. Wow, the year's almost over. I've got family coming in. I've got this gathering. I've got this assembly. I've got this to get done. I've got this to bake. I've got this to cook. I've got this to get done. I've got this doctor's appointment to meet. I've got my deductible that's almost out up. I've got this to take care of. I've got this and this and this and this. And and I've got so much to get done before the end of the year. How much time giving thought to the return of Jesus? What if Jesus comes back before the end of the year? What if Jesus comes back before the end of the year? When the Lord appears. When? When the Lord appears. I do find it interesting. The first thing that is really stated after Jesus left, after He went back to heaven, if you go to Acts chapter 1, you remember the first thing that's really said after Jesus goes back from heaven when He leaves earth? 
the Bible says in, in verse number 9 of Acts chapter 1, that when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What's the first thing that's talked about after Jesus goes up? His coming back. That's the first thing. You saw him go up. He's going to come back in like manner as you saw him go up. That's the first thing. That's the first mention after Jesus ascends. Go to the end of your New Testament. What are the very last words of Jesus that we find in all of the New Testament? The very last words are Revelation 22 and verse 20 where John says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. John says, Even so, come quickly. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I am coming quickly. I am coming. So the first words after His ascension, Jesus is coming. The last words of the New Testament, some of the very last words, He is coming. We live for that day. I think about those in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 10. Paul is offering them great compliments concerning their faith. The faith that has turned them away from idols to serve the true and living God. Their willingness to repent of sin in in their life and to turn and to live for Jesus. And in verse number 10, he talks about the fact that they were waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea is, you are eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus. Am I? Are you? I live for His appearing. Let me just give you a quick list of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And this isn't exhaustive, but it's something to think about before we conclude today. When Jesus comes, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that all the dead are going to be raised. The Bible says that judgment is going to be passed on all who have ever lived. That day of judgment is coming. And all who have ever lived are going to face it. They're all going to be present on that great day of judgment. And they will hear, Enter into the joy of your Lord. Or, Depart from me, I never knew you. You are going to live forever. You are going to live forever. I am going to live forever. Am I preparing to die? Or am I preparing to live forever? Eternal destinations are going to be declared on that day. But the Bible says in Colossians 3 and verse 4, that when the Lord appears, we shall appear with Him in glory. Who? Those who are prepared to live forever. Those who are prepared to live forever are going to appear with the Lord in glory. Now, I would offer you just a moment to let that sink in and to put a smile on your face. You and I, because of Jesus and our obedience to Him, can appear with the Lord in glory. I don't want to set my mind on the things of the earth. I want to set my mind above where Christ is. 
because that's my goal. I want to appear with him in glory. That's where I want to go, don't you? Have you been raised with Christ? Have you set your mind on things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God? Have you died to sin? Have you died to yourself in selfish ways that you might live for Christ? Is your life today really hidden with Christ? Are you so welded together, melted together with Christ that when they see you, they really see the Lord? Is your life so hidden with Christ that that is true? That you've truly crucified self, put self to death, that you can be with the Lord? Are you prepared to live forever? Are you living for His appearing? I don't know the answer to that as you ask yourself, but you do. You know as you sit here today, December the 4th of 2022, whether you're preparing to live forever. You know as you sit here today, some of us a little easier than than some because our perspective has changed. You know all the better that that's that's coming. You know you're closer now than you've ever been. Hard to tell that to a young person. Are you preparing to die? Are you prepared to live forever? This morning, my friend, if you're not a Christian, now is the time. You become a Christian by having faith placed in the Word of God. That's where faith comes, Romans 10 and verse 17. Believing that gospel, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Being willing to repent of sin in your life, to turn away from that, to serve the true and living God, to serve Jesus, to make Him your life. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means because of His blood and the benefits that you meet in baptism of the blood, that that blood continues to cleanse you from your sin. Are you ready today to make that confession of Jesus as the Son of God, to be buried in baptism for the forgiveness of your sin? There is no reason to leave here today unprepared to live forever. If you need to respond to the gospel as a Christian, that your life doesn't look like it should, or you're not doing what you should, or this morning you just need prayers, we want to help you any way that we can because we're here to help each other go to heaven. If we can help you today, that's all we want to do. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?